Welcome to Spirit School. I'm your mentor, Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. In this podcast, I share honestly all I have learned about the mediumship and spiritual development journey. My intention is to normalize these conversations, to make way for a more confident, clear, and connected wave of lightworkers, serving the world of spirit with an open and joyful soul. Welcome again to Spirit School. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Spirit School podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. First and foremost, thank you all for so much love from the June Spirit messages. I can't believe how much they resonated and some of the comments because I've been very transparent about some of the things I've been going through in life and my health and the fact that it was a big experiment for me to show up at a time where I typically feel like retreating. And I just have been receiving some of the most lovely, kind, generous messages on Instagram from you guys. Follow me at Squamish Medium over on Instagram if you are not yet. And so I just want to say thank you because I'll keep saying thank you my whole career, I hope, because I am so dang appreciative that people take time out of their day, and I mean time and energy, to send me messages around how my body of work has impacted you in a positive way. I know how lucky I am to be able to receive that type of validation. And so I just want to be extra appreciative of that for me, guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So today we're going to be talking on a bit of a different track than was discussed in the June Spirit messages because this is something that I get asked a lot about. My membership community was talking about this today, the Spirit School Collective, and I went in live and did a live on this topic as well. And I thought it would be worth recording as a podcast episode because obviously people who, for the most part, are drawn to developing their intuitive and mediumship development gifts, as well as people who want to eventually do this work, whether it be part-time or full-time. And I wanted to talk today about just some tips based off of learnings that I had, things that I didn't do, things that I did do that I was grateful of before I decided to leave my corporate career full-time to pursue mediumship and teaching full-time. So this is kind of like a, I'm just going to use in air quotes here, like a corporate escape plan. When I was considering the first time leaving my corporate career or at least seeing it as a potential to leave one day to pursue this work full time, that was in 2018. I had no intention of leaving in 2018. I had no timelines around it. I just had this idea that one day I think I would prefer to spend my days doing this work than the work I was doing in the corporate world. And so I started immersing myself in content around, you know, corporate escape plans. I remember listening to the podcast, um, Escape the 9 to 5 and Corporate Hostage No More. And one of my favorites back in the day, I don't think she's doing them anymore, but it was like women who went for it. It was like looking at like real lived experiences of women who had huge career pivots and changed courses in life and it all worked out. And so I was really kind of like immersing myself in inspirational content that was moving me towards where I wanted to go. So based off of all the things that I learned through that, plus my own experience in transitioning out of the nine to five workforce into doing this work full time, 
that's what this episode is going to be about. I would like to first start by recognizing the access and privilege that I did have when I made this transition. And I want to be transparent about that as well, because you can't teach this under a broad umbrella. Like if I can do it, you can, because not everyone has the same access or privilege that I had at the time when I was able to make the leap to full time. So I had an audience that I had been building for years. I had a husband who also had a full time income. So we were not a one-income household. We were a two-income household. I had the experience. I had the reputation. I had people around me who wanted to work with me. And I also had, in air quotes, the security of a husband who was also working full-time. And we had his income as well. It wasn't enough for us to live off of, but it did take off some of that pressure that I needed to earn what I earned in corporate to be able to stay afloat. So it was a calculated risk, and it was just something I wanted to acknowledge at the very beginning. So your journey might look a little bit different, but I'm hoping that the, let me see, one, two, three, four, five tips that I have for you today will be helpful in your own, I'm just going to say this for humor, but like corporate escape plan for when you're ready to start taking some leaps towards doing this work part-time or full-time. So my first tip for you is if you are, are somebody who is already thinking or suspecting that you will one day want to step into spiritual entrepreneurship and, you know, rocking your abilities out there in real life for a full-time or part-time gig, you'll want to build an audience. Now, this will look very different online versus offline. When I first opened up my practice in 2017, it was like literally the 1st of January 2017, launched my website, launched my Instagram account, was not wasting any more time. I'd been developing for four years up until this point. I had hundreds of practice readings under my belt. This was me coming out into the world, ready to start charging for my services and working for the public. I personally built offline. Online was not even in my awareness at that time. I had no idea if people were doing it. I'm sure that they were, but that was not something that was in the realm of potential possibility for me. What I did and often what I recommend for people who are interested in building their spiritual businesses and practices offline is to get really involved in the community. So I picked a venue that was a little acupuncture studio on the main strip of my town and I rented that space one Saturday a month to be able to do my readings in. This really supported the business and the owner herself. And it gave me a space outside of the home, which is safer. And because I didn't want to kick my family out for a Saturday so I could do my sessions, it was a really great way to get connected into my community and start serving my community first. And so that's how I started to build my reputation in my mediumship is I would simply just have a client. I would say I'm doing readings like on this Saturday. If you know anyone who'd be interested, just give them my email address and I could book them in. And that's how it really all started, just with one client and then referrals. And all those Saturdays eventually ended up filling up. And yeah, it just started steamrolling after that in the community. I just kept getting referred. And it wasn't very long until I had about a year and a half wait list of people who wanted to work with me just in Squamish. And so I stayed offline in my business up until 2020, actually. I basically just served my community 
And I did increase the amount that I was able to serve my community. I would do events. I did readings at yoga festivals. I did them at shamanic like winter solstice events. I got asked at an opening of a dentist clinic. <laughs> I was actually asked to come do readings for the guests at the opening. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. There was like a women's entrepreneur group who used to meet in someone's house once a month. They asked me to come give readings. So it was really just building my reputation and my confidence in my local community, building client referrals that I was able to build a successful business offline and a successful practice offline. When we look at the online space, it is around building your online audience. Now, this can be social media and it can be off social media. On social media would be picking a platform like Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Snapchat, whatever you're really into. And off social media looks like your newsletter, your podcast, potentially your YouTube channel, however it is that you feel comfortable showing up and starting to build an audience. Now, I don't want you to think in the realm of vanity metrics when it comes to building an audience. I don't want you to have like an arbitrary number in your head, like, I'll know I'm supported in this if I have 500 followers or 1,000 followers, because followers, it's not the only indicator that you're going to be booked. And it's actually not a for sure thing that you're going to be able to book in clients from that. How I always recommend people show up and build an audience and this is, again, what worked for me and what I felt comfortable doing. So please just recognize your level of comfortability with this and see what works for you. But I really treated my online presence, this podcast, as you guys know, as well as my Instagram, as a development blog. So I shared my experiences. I shared inspirations that came to me and through me. I often share and continue to share things that I also need. And so I personally built an audience through storytelling and through just being honest about what's going on for me and what has happened for me. And that is how I have built my audience. Now, my audience is still relatively, and I'm putting in air quotes, small on the social media platform. I think I have like 65 hundred followers and you know I'm like five years into building that space but I did it in a very intentional way as I built my audience every Monday I post a meme Monday I go through my followers and I remove followers that I know to be bots or I know to be people who are just doing follow for follow and I do that at the sacrifice of having the vanity metrics show and inflate my followers because I'm not looking for more followers I'm looking for People who will be truly aligned and resonant of my message and engage. So I have really high engagement on my social platforms because I treat it with such intentionality. When it comes to podcasting, this is the easiest thing for me to do because I just record in my bedroom right now. I'm wearing like almost no makeup. I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm standing at my desk. I just have this idea. And I have 10,000 people a month at least who are like consuming my content for the most part from what I can tell, like really enjoying and loving it because it continues to grow and it continues to make impact. So I'm very passionate about building and continuing to create things for my audience that is not just on social media as well. But why I bring this up as being something that's very important is because it's something that you should start right away. It is not something that you should do when you consider leaving. Because I have had very successful people in the corporate space hire me because they want to make a leap to entrepreneurship. 
And I will flat out tell them, like, you need an audience first, right? Like, who are you going to, you know, sell to essentially when you make the leap? It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter like how good you were in your corporate job. If you don't have people listening to you and you haven't found your voice and how to share with them yet, you might fall into some disappointment by the time you leave. So this is something, again, I have to recognize the privilege I had when I went full time in 2020 because I had a very engaged audience. I had about 1,500 Instagram followers, but they were followers that were like investing in everything that I was creating. And so that's because I had built a rapport with them for three years before. And they got the gist of me. They understood my energy, how I talk, how I teach, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very important that you start this as soon as you start thinking about wanting to pursue this work more full-time or part-time. Build an audience, online or offline. Another thing you want to consider are some savings. Now, when I was doing a lot of research, I downloaded a whole bunch of formulas, one, two, three step plans, and some recommendations from some really big coaches in the space who were mentoring people to transition to entrepreneurship. And there were some numbers that were thrown out that were not accessible to me at all. The most common one is six months of earnings. which that is not easy for a lot of people this day and age where cost of living is so high, inflation is real. We are often in a society where we are spending more than we make, right? Consumerism, capitalism, there are a lot of barriers to be able to have six months savings before you make this leap. And we know that sometimes even a $5,000 credit card balance can take 10 years to pay off. So that's not always going to be realistic. So what I ask you to do, and I did this myself, is I had to look at when I'm putting safe in air quotes, what makes me feel safe so that I can make this leap and know that I'm going to be okay. And my answer was not three months of earnings. It was three months of mortgage payments. And so I wanted to make sure that I had enough to contribute to the mortgage and pay off the entire mortgage amount every single month with savings for three months. And so that was a much smaller number and it made me feel more confident leaving when I did. And so it took me about a year to save that. And I really just put away five to 10% in our family savings every single time I got paid. It was actually a really good motivator for me to do that. I also did little tricky things. Most banks actually have this set up where every time you use your debit card or your visa card, like $5 goes to savings. Or, you know, you can set up automatic savings on your online account where it's like every week I want to save like $88 or $77. There are so many interesting ways that you can like sneaky save that don't feel very overwhelming that can give you that cushion that will make you feel good. But that number is very personal. So I just ask you to ask yourself, what do I feel I need to make this leap that feels good to me? And how can I get there? How long is that going to take me? right? The other thing I would recommend that you do as part of making this leap is there are a lot of resistances and fears that can come up psychologically around this, okay? So when I started considering, like really, really, really considering, like I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. I know it's time to make the leap. And this for me was late 2018 after I had my nervous breakdown at work. It happened November 27th, 2018. I still remember the date. 
because I was in the hospital up until December 3rd that year because of heart palpitations from a nervous breakdown from a work retreat. So I had a legit health crisis and I was at a point where I was like, this isn't going to work. I need to get out of here. What am I still doing over here? And I have this opportunity to be able to do what I really love full time, but I'm still like trapped by the pension plan, the, you know, biweekly pay and the golden handcuffs, essentially. And I started getting really real about what the resistances were. And at first, the resistances were all outside of me. They were like, what if I don't get nine clients a week? What if one month I get sick and I can't work? What if, you know, I can only attract like four or five clients one week and 12 the next. Like what if there isn't that kind of consistency that I was used to? Because in truth, I have been a salaried employee since I was 17. I have never had an hourly job. I have always had a salary job. So I always had consistent pay. And so I started looking deeper than the thought about the pension plan, because the truth is, yes, a pension plan's great, but who's to say I couldn't put $300 a month in my own savings away too, right? Like, we're just not trusting ourselves a little bit here. And I started going deeper and deeper and deeper. And as I went down the layers of the resistance and the layers behind the fear of making such a big transition in my life... The real bottom fear for me when I got down to it, which was kind of stemmed from some insecurities I had growing up around my childhood, around housing and food, was that I was afraid of losing my house. I was afraid of not being able to provide a beautiful big home for my children to grow up in. And we worked really hard to be able to afford the home that we have. And we had to make a lot of different sacrifices to be able to get there. Me and my husband didn't have a wedding. We didn't have a honeymoon. We decided to drive older cars just so that we could afford our first home together. We don't take that lightly. And so I started looking at that fear and I started talking to it. And I was like, yeah, that's a real fear. That's legit. Like that would really suck. And neither of us really have families that we could like go live with or, you know, would bail us out. Like we didn't really have that kind of safety net between us. And what I ended up starting to do, which was just intuitive, mind you, is I had a two-hour commute to work every day. And so after my nervous breakdown, I knew I wanted to leave my corporate career. And I started talking to myself out loud in the car. And I started calling out my fear. My biggest fear is I'm going to lose my home. My biggest fear is I'm going to lose my home. My biggest fear is I'm going to lose my home. And I would say it sometimes for hours every week. And eventually what happened was that thought, that phrase, that thing that gave me so much fear and so much anxiety didn't have a trigger for me anymore. I literally took its power away by looking at a deadpan in the face, calling it out and robbing it of the hold it had on my physical experience and my mental experience. Because the truth of the matter is, if I look at the reality of that fear, okay, in my career, I take a huge pay cut doing this work full time and I don't make what I used to make in corporate, which took me eight years to be able to earn what I earned by the time I left. We could sell our house. We have a ton of equity. We could go rent somewhere else if we needed. All these solutions started coming to me and all these counter claims in my head to the things that were bringing fear to me, all these solutions started coming once I robbed that belief from its fear from me. I took my power back and I took power away from that fear. 
And that was actually my biggest fear. So I won't bore you with the whole story around how I didn't leave in 2019, even though I did officially resign and I ended up rescinding my resignation because that's a huge story that is worthy of its own podcast episode one time. But at that time in 2019, when I was doing this deep work about robbing its fear and I built up savings and I actually got rid of a lot of my consumer debt, it was actually like a really perfect and optimal time to leave. But I was really scared. And in truth, I was so scared at that time. I knew I still had a lot deeper work to do because I also didn't want to go into my spiritual business and my spiritual practice with that level of pressure on it. I'm like, can I do this work from this like completely triggered state? Like, is this the energy in which I want to go into my business? And then my workplace just made it too attractive to not leave. I just, it's a long, long story. If you've been listening for a long time, you know the story, but I'm not going to do it here. So looking at removing the power away from your fears. That's how I did it. For some of you, you might want to journal. I'm someone who speaks for a living. I'm a talkative person. This is how I process. So saying things out loud for me was the most beneficial. The other thing you might want to consider before making a full leap to your full-time spiritual practice is actually doing a part-time. And this is the compromise that I ended up doing between 2019 and 2020 when I made my eventual leap, is I told my workplace that I didn't want to come into the office anymore and I wanted to not work on Fridays. And I ended up using those Fridays as an experiment. How many readings can I actually do in a day? And I started off with four because I was working at home and I was doing readings out of my home. This is before I went online, keep in mind, like months before I went online. And so I practiced doing four. I practiced doing them back to back. I practiced spreading them out. I practiced doing one in the morning. I practiced doing three and two. Because I was working at home a lot, I practiced doing like some during lunchtime breaks to just kind of like see about my energy and see what was possible for me. And this was a huge moment for me. And this was a huge time for me to better understand what I actually wanted my practice to be. Okay. It really, really, really was. I had so much more clarity doing part-time before going in full-time because I had a really good sense. Okay. I think my sweet spot is actually two readings a day. Okay. So if my readings are two readings a day, either I'm going to be doing you know, two readings a day, five days a week, or I'm going to have to increase my prices a little bit to be able to afford my mortgage, right? My big goal, what I'm telling you. So if it is an opportunity for you to like even work four days a week instead of five so that you can experiment with this or dedicate like one or two Saturdays a month to experiment with this, it's all moving you towards where you eventually want to go, but it's also getting you more clear for when you get there. What I'm going to tell you too is that what you expect full-time mediumship to be or whatever modality you're doing, whether it's coaching, Reiki, massage, it all applies. And what ends up happening are two very different things. In my experience, it was way better than I expected. And I actually haven't heard too many cases where it hasn't been. So be open to that, that you have all these plans in your mind, but there is so much room for it to turn out so much better and so much more than you could have anticipated. So be open to that. Another thing I really wanted to say along this line too is the other tip I have for you while you have full-time employment is to apply for all the credit that you could potentially get. So this is credit cards, lines of credit, 
renewing your mortgage early if you have to, if you're like dead set on a timeline or timing your big leap to be after you renew your mortgage or after you renew your rental lease. Because typically this is how it works in Canada. I don't know if it works like this in the States, but mortgage lenders will look at your prior two years of notice of assessment, tax remittance, how much money have you made? And unfortunately, even though the most opposite is true, a lot of lenders, a lot of financial institutions don't see entrepreneurship as a safe and secure pathway. But in my experience, it's even more safe. It's even more secure. And there are some banks, RBC in Canada, Royal Bank of Canada is one of those banks that does, and I'm not sponsored, this is not an ad, but RBC does take entrepreneurship at face value, which is there's actually more potential to earn in entrepreneurship than any safe and secure job that corporate could possibly give you or some other employer could give you. But realistically, overall, a lot of financial institutions don't take that into consideration. So all this very practical (laughs) and very earthly, very 3D, but I wanted to let you know that that's something I'm really glad I did. I didn't end up needing it, but it did make me feel safer making the leap that I had a lot of credit accessible to me in case something really bad happened and I needed to access that. So those are my five tips for things for you to consider in part of planning to eventually maybe go full-time or part-time in this work. But there's a few other things I want to say, and one of them is really around timelines. This exhausted me, and I would hope to advise other people to maybe consider doing it in a very different way because the way I did it was, okay, December 1st, okay, January 1st, okay, February 1st. I kept putting these carrots in front of me to follow and chase, and it kept me in this constant, I'm failing energy. Oh, I missed it. I didn't keep my word. I'm losing confidence. All these things kind of came up and it was this constant ebb and flow of like feeling the pressure, being scared month after month. And then the month would pass and the timeline would pass and I would feel like a failure all over again. I'm here to tell you that you will know when it's time. And I mean that. It will be so blatantly clear to you If you start declaring to the world of spirit that you want to do this work full time, you start taking actions towards it, you will know when it's time and it will be crystal clear for you. And you, much like me, may regret a little bit some of the wasted energy you had being so worried about it, over planning it. And again, that cycle of like being hard on yourself and like, you know, feeling like you're failing because you're not meeting these timelines that you set up for yourself. I ask you to be fluid and flexible around this. You can have a goal, have a loose goal, maybe by the end of the year, maybe by summer. And you know what? I'll reassess like two months before to see how I really feel and keep giving yourself those permission slips. It will happen. And there is no rush, right? You'll hear me say this over and over again. There's no Freedom 55 plan in spiritual entrepreneurship. This type of work we can really do forever. And most of us will want to. We really, really, really will. So if we can release the timelines around it and let that unfold before us because we're taking meaningful and intentional steps towards our desires and just trust that, I promise you, you will know when it's time. And when it was that time for me, it was on paper, not a great time to leave. 
The year before I say I resigned, I had savings, I had no consumer debt, I had bookings out the yin-yang. When I was finally ready to leave, it was because I felt another health crisis come on. And my husband looked at me, he said, we can't lose you again. Because they lost me, my family lost me for three months after that. He's like, we can't lose you again, this can't happen again. What do you need to do? Right? It was so apparent to me that it was time to leave that I resigned even though I had no bookings in seven weeks. I had the first dry spell of my entire career. I had consumer debt. Uh, we had taken a trip to Disneyland. <laughs> we spent like a big part of our savings because it was one of those trips to Disneyland. where, we're, And I'm glad we did this. I don't regret it at all. But we told the kids we will say no to nothing. Whatever you want, you're getting for four days. You want that? Yes. You want Mickey ears? Yes. You want to dress like a princess? Fine. Like we said no to nothing. We had no budget and it was the trip of a lifetime. And the pandemic happened five months after. So we're really glad that we went and we did that. But, you know, on paper, when I actually left, it wasn't an ideal time. If you're a planner and prepper, like I am, my Virgo heart, planner and prepper. And it was still blatantly obvious that it was time for me to leave. And I tell you, when I left, it's like the world was waiting. And then people started reaching out to me. My podcast blew up. And around the same time, my podcast really took off. And people started reaching out to me from around the world asking for mentorship. Now, keep in mind, my big plan was nine readings a week. That's what I needed. Teaching online was not even in the realm of potential for me. I didn't even consider it. But I started following the lead of my audience I had been building for years and just responding to the things that they're asking me for. And that's how I really started building online. Pretty simple there. So in summary, the tips here. So building your audience, I gave you tips for online or offline, saving, whatever you, makes you feel safe and cozy at night, and knowing that when it comes to money, it's never really enough emotionally. But we always have enough physically, you know what I mean? But emotionally, it's like, oh, I could use more. I could use more. That will never stop. So building your audience, savings, removing the power from your fears, scaling back in your current role before you go make that big leap to full time, getting credit while you can, while you have that um, consistent income, and then the added bonus one of removing the pressure around the timelines. All right. So hopefully this is helpful for you. I changed my podcast a year ago to be more inclusive of some of the stuff I love talking around with spiritual entrepreneurship. And I've been doing a lot more of that in the past couple of months. And the response I've been getting has been pretty good. So if you guys are interested in more topics like this, just let me know. I typically don't plan out my podcasts all that much. I just like, what am I inspired to talk about? Some weeks it's something, other weeks it's nothing. And I get the sense that my audience, aka you guys, really kind of appreciate that authentic approach. So, you know, based off of what I just said, I really do follow the lead of my audience. So if you have any suggestions or any topics you really want me to cover on the pod, just reach out and I'm happy to see if I'd be a good fit for that topic. So I hope you all have a good week ahead and we will see you on the next episode of Spear School. Did you know that Spirit School is not just a podcast? It's an actual school. If you go to myspiritschool.com, you can invest in self-study courses, live programs, and of course, the Spirit School Collective, my baby, my monthly membership community. All Spirit School offerings are intended to get you feeling clear, confident, and connected to your spiritual path 
your development journey, and of course, connected to other spiritual curious souls who are having similar experiences to you. I hope to see you in spirit school.